was at a friend's house um, visiting on my way here and took a shower and I came out and I was like, do you know your heart, your shampoo has microbeads? And they're like, oh, <laughs> you're the microbead queen. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> this is Sherry Mason. Sherry is a plastic pollutant chemist and she's also... I am a professor of chemistry and chair of the Department of Geology and Environmental Sciences at the State University of New York at Fredonia. Cool. Yeah, right nice short little title there. <laughs> so what so essentially, Sherry is a plastics whiz. Her knowledge ranges um, from things like plastic I, bags uh, to microbeads and even to the dangerous contaminants that plastics carry. What are these contaminants? What should we be freaked out about? <laughs> Everything. Um, so I am a, a chemist, and, and yet I go around talking about being concerned about synthetic chemicals. Um, so we had one of our presenters yesterday was had this... By the way, Sherry was the keynote speaker this week at the fifth annual international conference on emerging contaminants in the environment, which was held at the University of Technology, Sydney. Um, so we had one of our presenters yesterday was had this ongoing tabulation on the screen of how many synthetic chemicals have been registered and it's a million and eight and then mm. as she was talking you could just see the numbers increasing by one like every couple of minutes because yeah I mean we're just we're exposed to literally thousands of synthetic chemicals just in our everyday life as we go through you know, not just in our water in our everyday life. in our water the, I mean when we take a shower when we brush our teeth you know it's 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 all those things we put on our bodies right the lotions and the shampoos and um, and then you know oh we have a headache and oh you know we're take a birth control pill right I mean so mm. there's all these synthetic chemicals that we intentionally or unintentionally expose ourselves to that have impacts on us now and I focus on uh, microplastics but um, I'm interested in in micro Microplastics as one of these um, emerging contaminants of concern. So, what exactly are they? Are they literally just like tiny plastics? Absolutely, yeah. That's basically what they are. And what does um, that mean? Like, what? yeah. Well, so, so you know, that plastic bag we've all seen blowing in the wind. Right? What happens to it? it? It doesn't just go away, right? And so, you know, as as people actually maybe are listening to this, they may even be walking down the street and just look down at the ground, and you're perpetually seeing straws and pins mm. and and water bottles and caps and and lighters, right? So all of those plastics that either unintentionally or intentionally get released into the environment break into smaller and smaller pieces, but they never go away. Like a paper bag, if you drop it on the sidewalk, you know, would probably blow into a field. And with eight, within 18 months, that bag has returned to its elements, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen. It's completely elementalized. Um, but with plastics, they break into these smaller and smaller pieces, but they never really elementalize. I mean, the lifetimes of plastics have been estimated, estimated to be somewhere between 500 and 1,000 years. Mm. But as a, a synthetic chemical, they've only been on the market for about 70. So that means every piece of plastic that we've ever produced is still on this planet somewhere. Um, and it's what it's happening is they're breaking into these smaller and smaller pieces and they're ending up in our water largely.
Hi, I'm Jake Morecambe. This is Think Sustainability, where we look at practical solutions for a better planet. Today, plastics. Now, a great mental image that Dr. Sherry Mason gives, who you just heard from and we'll hear throughout the show today, is imagine you're keeping a diary on your daily interactions with plastic. Think of what you're sitting on right now, what you're holding, your phone, what makes up your house. Nearly everything has had a relationship with plastic at some point, however large or small that item may be. We're going to go back to Sherry now, and like you're about to hear, most of us are familiar with how bad plastics are for the planet. But how bad are plastics for us? I'll be, as a scientist, I can say that we don't completely understand all of the um, steps along the way. And so, you know, what exact role plastics have versus other um, ways that synthetic chemicals are transmitted in and up the food chain. You know, we, we don't know that. But I can tell you that what we have noticed is increase, for example, in cancer rates, a decrease in sperm count. Um, mm. you know, men are becoming effeminized, smaller penises, and the distance between the scrotum and the anus is getting smaller. Mm. Really? Because of things like microplastics? Because of synthetic chemicals, and microplastics are one of these. Um, So um, women are reaching puberty at an earlier age, you know, kind of a similar kind of connection. And for women, what this generally leads to is higher incidences of uh, breast cancer and ovarian cancer um, and cervical cancer later in life. So you see these increase in, in cancer rates. We know that as we see this increase in synthetic chemicals, we're seeing a similar increase in these certain types of, of uh, diseases. And, and so that connection is pretty well clear. It's how this, the, the chemicals are getting into us is the most prominent way through ingestion of our food? Is it through our water? Is it through, you know, microplastics acting as a vector for these chemicals? I mean, and from a scientific perspective, it's interesting. And we these are things that we want to know. But from a human perspective, it's no joke. Like, who cares? Yeah. Right? <laughs> when we know that these things are happening, we, we just need to be, I think, a lot more thoughtful. Um, with regard to production and use of synthetic chemicals in our society. An example that you mentioned, which I think is a really interesting one, and one that I've, I've heard before, is the use of these synthetic chemicals or microbeads, as they've been called, in things like personal soaps or, right. or things that you use in the shower. Yeah. First off, this is the first question, why are they in there? Like, why, why do they put them in these products? <laughs> okay. So, I mean, they, they were initially in there to act as exfoliants. Um, so, it, okay, since the, really the dawn of civilization, right, we have, you know, we as, as animals, we exfoliate. You know, you think about your cat um, rubbing on a, on a tree, right? It's the same kind of idea, right? Where we, but typically, um, we've used naturally occurring things like bark or sand or salt, um, sugar, you know, these natural abrasions. Um, on our skin. Um, we, we found the patent, actually, for the first of these microbeads. It was uh, developed in 1972, was the first U- U.S. patent. And they actually talk about in the patent the fact that these natural exfoliants can be, can be too abrasive causing microfissions in the skin. And so they The ones that we, as in natural ones, the ones that we already have used. The ones that we have used. And so they developed plastics to, to be an exfoliant, but be less abrasive than the natural <laughs> things. Although if you really feel them, they, they're not even abrading your skin. They kind of roll across the skin. I mean, think about it. If you just take a ball and you roll it across your skin, is that doing anything? No. <laughs> um, so so they were incorporated. And, and so even though the patent came out in 1972, you don't really see 
until sometime in the 1990s that that companies started to move away from these natural products into using polymers as these um, exfoliants and abrasives um, and then fillers. And they, they started to get more and more widespread use. And I think it's really a matter of the fact that they're just cheap. Right, cheaply available, and and they're cool looking. I think that it became a marketing ploy too. I mean, who I, I remember walking down the stores shelves and and seeing these little you know multicolored beads floating yeah. in a, a clear liquid <laughs> and going, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it does. It looks cool. And so from a marketing standpoint, you can see how it's really attractive as well. When I go and I talk about this with people, you know, most people are like, I I just thought that they they went away like they just biodegraded I don't know they dissolved or something yeah. and and then you tell them well no they're plastic and they don't go away and they they you know our, our work has, has shown that they make their way through wastewater treatment plant in pretty staggering amounts actually um, four million over four million pieces of plastic being released from every wastewater treatment plant on average every wastewater treatment plant that we sampled um, across the United States and in the US uh-huh. there's 15,000 wastewater treatment plants <gasps> And like each one, numbers there. yeah, four million a day, mm. fifteen thousand facilities, three hundred sixty-five days a year, and to U.S. waterways. I mean, it's staggering. So we ended up with somewhere on the order of um, ten um, billion microbeads being released into U.S. waterways every year. If that figure doesn't even freak you out, just like given the like incomprehensible numbers, isn't it weird <sighs> that we're with these microbeads washing ourselves with plastic? <laughs> Yeah, like, it, it, like even just on a personal level, it's like you don't want to kind of you wouldn't just rub like a plastic bag over yourself and be like, I'm clean now. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think most people, when you tell them that there's plastic in their toothpaste, there's plastic in their face wash, mm. they go, "Ew, no, yeah. I don't want that. And I, I you know, I, I think that's part of the reason why we were able to push the ban on the microbeads. And it happens so quickly, not only I mean, in the United States, but I, I was just learning yesterday, um, the Australian EPA, um, I guess, banned them as well here. So that's fantastic. And same timeline 2018, which I think is important, because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, they were banned. And they think if they go to the store now, they can any product that they buy won't have microbeads. But I think it's really important for be to people to be aware of the fact that you can go to the store now and still buy products that have microbeads. So if you really want to limit your exposure and your your negative influence on the environment, you know, to be looking for products that don't have microbeads. What are the, yeah, so what is the actual alternative as these, or I guess as an exfoliating product as opposed to one um, ones that have microbeads in them. So like sugar, salt. I use apricot scrub, um, which mm. actually uses ground up walnut, despite the name. Um, <laughs> it has apricot extract, but the, the abrasive in it is actually ground up walnut shells or seeds. Um, that, that And that's a more natural occurring product as opposed to one that's got plastics inside it. Exactly. Yeah. And you can find these. I mean, they've been on the market the whole time, right? So it's just a matter of being a more educated consumer and thinking a little bit more when you go to the store about what you buy. You know, and the same is true for your toothpaste and and your body washes, um, shampoos. Um. So, like, I just want to because I'm not sure if I've actually used one of these microbead exfoliants before. Like, what do they what do they look like? Is it just like a tiny little? It's bead? a tiny little bead. It looks like almost like a period at the end of a sentence. I mean, that's how small. I mean, some of them are even smaller. The ones in toothpaste almost add like a shimmery. Like, if you look at your toothpaste and it seems to like be iridescent, it probably has microbeads in it because right. the microbeads in toothpaste go 
down to 10 microns. I mean, just incomprehensibly mm. small. Like, I can't, they're smaller than the period at the end of a sentence. You know, you, you don't see them, but they, they create this, this iridescence to the, to the toothpaste. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, you know, take your product and you, you rub it against your hand, if you can feel like little round beads, then it probably has microbeads in it. And the word that you would look for in your ingredients most often is polyethylene. Polyethylene. Yeah. That's what, what is that? If that's it's, just that's a, type a plastic. Of plastic. It's a type of plastic. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, six basic polymers, um, the most common in plastic. So polyethylene is is um, among them, and then polypropylene, um, polystyrene, which is your styrofoam, mm. um, uh, polyvinyl chloride (PVC), which is like shower curtains and and pipes. Mm-hmm. Um, but polyethylene um, is the most common manufactured plastic, and it's the one that's most often used for the microbeads. Right. Aside from just the health implications that using these products can have on us as humans, going to now the water where these products actually end up, and I know we were just talking about wastewater treatment, but you look at stuff in fresh water as well. What's this research? What what are you looking at there? As an area of, of, of scientific research, plastic pollution really started in the world's oceans. And I think many, many people, especially, well, I mean, at least living here, you you live on the ocean. And so y'all probably feel connected to it. But, um, you know, I live, I'm from Texas um, in the United States. I'm sorry. Don't hold that against me. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and then I moved to Montana. And now I live in upstate New York um, on the shores of Lake Erie. And so I've typically resided in places that are far removed from the ocean. Oceans and and the, the even though like logically I know that what we find in the oceans is connected to what I do as a human being on a daily basis, most people don't f- see that connection. While this is it started as a topic within the world's oceans, we were one of the the first groups to actually start looking in freshwater systems, and it, it's just fortunate that I live on the largest freshwater ecosystem in the entire world, um, which is the Laurentian Great Lakes, and you know which is between Canada and the United States. 20% of the fresh water is there. And so we, we've we surveyed all five of the Great Lakes looking for, for plastic pollution. We find concentrations that um, are equal to and, and in many cases higher than the most concentrated parts of the world's oceans. Wow. And then we've gone even further where we're looking at rivers, right? And, and, and part of, I think, the importance of this is getting people to understand that they are connected it's all of those things that we use. You know, people are like, well, these plastics that you find, where are they coming from? I'm like, they're coming from us. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like think about, you know, just go through one day in your life and try and keep a journal of every piece of plastic that you touch, right? So the headphones that we're working, that we're wearing right now, and these are styrofoam probably, you know, mm-hmm. covering the microphones, you know, and, and many of us wear glasses that are plastic and we use toothbrushes that are plastic and we sit on toilets that are plastic and we drive cars that are largely plastic, you know, and so you start kind of keeping a list and it's not, it's, you know, and it's the bags and the pens and the bottles and, you know, it you just get overwhelmed if you really sit down and think about how much plastic you interact with on a daily basis. You realize how prevalent it is in our society. And it's all of that little pieces of plastic that end up um, in our water. We were just talking about, so you're looking in freshwater basins or lakes and rivers and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But why is there an equal amount of plastics within those areas? How are they then being transported to that point? 
Okay, so actually we find them in higher counts in rivers, and then they decrease as you go to a lake, and then they decrease as you go to the ocean. And it's because, you know, one, if rivers, you're closer to the people, right? Just like shoreline, you tend to find higher counts along the shores of Australia than you would in the middle of the ocean because you're closer to the people, you're closer to the source. So as you get further from the people, the pieces will break into smaller and smaller, and you have more and more water, and so it it will dilute. And so the count, the the concentrations um, will diminish diminish and then you also have ingestion of the plastic and then some of the plastic will um, you know uh, increase in density and, and become part of the sediment where it could be removed from the ecosystem or it could be ingested by animals that 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 feed off of the the bottom of the the lakes and rivers and, and oceans and because it, like it changed so. it, it interplays with the ecosystem in a way that it changes the ecosystem and oh, and, and the diversity well the biological diversity that surrounds that area is either, I guess, abolished or completely changed. Absolutely. I mean, over 600 species of, of aquatic organisms are known to be negatively impacted by plastics and in terms of, of death and reduced reproduction rates, toxic stresses and, and growth and, you know, being able to swim. And like I said, like sea turtles, I mean, sea turtles are endangered almost solely because of plastic bags, because a plastic bag floating in the water looks like a jellyfish, which is their primary food source. Right. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's huge the impact that these have, um, and so you, you think about that. You know, think about that when you're buying a plastic and you're taking a plastic bag mm. with it. Is it inescapable forever? You mean inescapable for us as a society? Well, yeah. I mean, we had society before we had plastic. You know, <laughs> can we have society after? Plastic? And we can have plastic. Yes, I think we can. Um, you know, uh, so it, it, as a as a material, it was really, it wasn't really put into place the mass production of it until World War II as part of the war movement. And then when the war movement ended, they turned their attention to the consumer, and and this is, I mean, you can see this huge uh, transition in our society as a as a fun- as a result of World War II. We turned into a society of one that was about conservation and reusing and, you know, really kind of thinking about our products to this throwaway society. And plastics are an inherent part of that throwaway society. Like just, you know, mm. you don't want to remember a, a, a your reusable water bottle <laughs> before <laughs> you leave the house. It's fine. Just buy a bottle of water on the way. You don't want to remember your reusable coffee mug before you leave the house. That's fine. You can go to your favorite coffee shop and you can get a coffee cup that's many people think, well, it's paper. No, it's lined in plastic. Yeah. You know, if it was just paper, the coffee would like, <laughs> go right through it, right? I mean, so it's lined in plastic and plastic that has synthetic chemicals and you're putting hot coffee in it. And so what's happening is while you're drinking your coffee, all of these chemicals are migrating out of that plastic uh, into your coffee and you're drinking it. I and- had one this morning. <laughs> it's freaky. Like it's hard to, I feel like also with like just humans, if it's something that is so overwhelmingly scary, you just remove yourself from it and then it's like, it's okay. Like I know it's bad, but I'm like, it doesn't matter if I keep doing it. Right. Of course it does. And see, I know, this is, exactly. And that's I point. think this is the, the thing. I mean, okay, so I get overwhelmed with something like climate change because I'm like, oh, my God, this is a huge global problem. And what can I possibly do? Right. Mm. But, but plastics, actually, this is one where I'm like, this is tangible. I don't use straws. 
I don't use bottles of water. Like I refuse. I refuse plastic bags. Actually, you know, we came here and I brought a bag so that if we went to the grocery store and then I promptly, of course, forgot it. So when I went to the grocery store, I bought another bag. But it's cool because it says, you know, my bag is better than yours. (laughs) And uh, and so I'll use it and I'll bring it back and it'll be like one of my my souvenirs from from Sydney. You know, so. But this is, you know, something where as a as a person, like you can in, it just like have such a huge impact on just what you do dramatically affects the water. And not only what you do, but you got to remember that each one of us, we have a sphere of influence, right? So while mm. you make changes in your life and as you talk to people that you're directly connected to, you can get them to change and then they go on and create change, right? And, and ultimately... That's how we got into this mess, right? I mean, it didn't happen yeah. overnight. We didn't wake up one day and plastic was everywhere. It, it happened over a period of 70 years. And so, yes, we can have a society afterwards, you know, and we're going to and it's going to take time. And, and trust me, as a plastic pollution researcher, that like is sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want it to take time. I want it to be instantaneous. And then I take deep breaths. I do lots <laughs> of yoga yep. and I, you know, I go, OK. It's okay. It happened over 70 years. And, and hopefully, you know, the transition away from single-use disposable plastics happens faster than the, the time it took us to get here. You know, so maybe it's going to take 40 years, you know. So maybe over a period of 40 years, we can make this transition away from plastics being so prevalent. You know, it's not an evil material. I think there's some very logical uses for plastic. But, you know, when you're talking about a material that lasts 500 to 1,000 years, you don't make a bag that you use literally on average, a plastic bag is used for 12 minutes. Mm. So we're making a bag that's used for 12 minutes out of a material that lasts 500 years. (laughs) Where is the logic? (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) <laughs> Does, and hopefully everybody in the audience is doing exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm going, huh? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it just it makes absolutely no sense. You know, we can remember to bring a, a bag with us when we, when we leave, you know, and, and I work on a college campus. I get so frustrated because my students always have backpacks. They go to the convenience store and buy bottles of water, which they then carry out of the convenience store. It's not bad enough that they're buying bottled water, mm. but they then carry it out of the convenience store in a plastic bag. I know, I know yeah. Which as soon as they walk out of the convenience store, they take off the plastic bag, put it into a trash can. (laughs) And then, you know, it's yeah. So, you know, I think that we can, one, remember, hey, I've got a backpack. I can throw this stuff in my backpack. You know, I think we can remember, uh, you know, I I don't leave my house without my... Yeah, I'm going to show you. Okay. <laughs> always, yeah, always clean. With is me. that your clean canteen? This clean is canteen not coffee mug kind this, of thing. <laughs> this is actually a Starbucks mug. Are we allowed to advocate particular? That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so, as big here in Australia, so I yeah, think I have one on my okay. college campus, and right. I'm there like daily. So <laughs> I I bought this. Um, Oh God, it's probably been 15 years now, like I said, and it's not... and I get 10 cents off every time I use it. So think about, oh. and I go there literally daily. That, so that's the, that's the thing as well. Yeah. Installing in that system that it there's a there's a I guess something beneficial for you to be able to become part of that, and yeah. it gives you an incentive to keep that practice ongoing. I I think you know, and sadly, incentives do not work as well as um as uh, taxes. This has been right. proven, like in the literature. But um, so I think. 
think really, instead of giving me 10 cents off for bringing my mug, everybody who doesn't bring a mug should be charged. I mean, right. you, you may take offense to that. No, I, mean, <laughs> I, say, I say that. You yeah. know, but if people had to pay, I don't know, 50 extra cents for their coffee in the morning because they got it in a plastic lined coffee cup, then I think that they would start remembering their reusable mug, you know, mm. because they would go, wow, I don't want to pay extra 50 cents. Yeah. Right. That's, that's very true. Um, and same with, you know, bags, um, you know, so, um, uh, Obama apparently just like two days ago introduced like legislation for a U.S. national bag ban, plastic bag ban, which wow. I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I would I would love to see that happen. But, you know, I actually push more than uh, bans on bags. I, I'm like, OK, you know, because, of course, in America, we're all like, we have the freedom. We have the right <laughs> to go and get a bag. Um, I've had so many people tell me this. And I'm like... Yes, yes. It's 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 written in the Constitution, life, liberty, a plastic bag when you go to the grocery store and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. I missed that. I don't know. I mean, it's been a long time since I since I read the Constitution. Um, so, yeah, I mean, OK, so, yeah, you have the freedom. You're right. You absolutely have the freedom to get a plastic bag when you go when you go to the grocery store. But you know what? That plastic bag has an inherent cost. It costs the company to buy it. It mm. costs people's lives who live near these companies. I mean, they have emphysema. They have, you know, increased rates of cancer. You know, every time I look at a plastic bag, that's actually what I see is I see the people who live around the, in the communities that surround these facilities that manufacture these things. And I've seen images you know they're on oxygen and you know <clears throat> it's sad it's really depressing and so you know every time you're taking that plastic bag you're contributing to that well then you you have a responsibility right yeah. um and then there's the cleanup that's associated because even if you think you put that plastic bag in a bin and you think it went to a landfill or to a recycling center sometimes it get, blows away there's a storm yeah. event, there's a wind, you know, things get knocked over, whatever happens, and these things get released. And then somebody is walking on a beach, and they either have to clean it up, or it gets blown out to sea, and a sea turtle eats it. So there are, you know, there are consequences, right? So you should have to pay for that, mm. right? It shouldn't be free. You know, it, sh it should be free for me to go and bag my own groceries in my own bags because I brought them. But it shouldn't be free for you to buy a plastic bag that has an inherent cost to it, human health and environmental. So you should pay for that a dollar. Yeah. And that's that's getting off cheap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you really think about the, the the impacts that those bags have on a larger scale and straws the same way. I mean, I don't. Yeah, straws the worst. <sighs> I don't know if it's like this here. Is it like this here? Because I haven't been to enough places where um, I remember growing up when I ordered a drink, you would have to, you know, as a little girl, I'd be like, can I have a straw? Exactly. Like yeah, the it's, bendy straws. Yeah, and now yeah. do they give them out like without even thinking about um, it? I think, I think it's become better. I think it's a nightlife culture thing. Whenever mm. you get a drink in a glass, they will always give you a straw. But there have been places that I go to that have no straws now. So Good. I don't know. I feel like it's a very mixed bag. But they're, we they're need still to push around. more of that. They're still around. Straws yeah. suck. Yeah. They, they do. They just, they suck. <laughs> like literally. They, they literally suck. suck. <laughs> um, and balloons blow, you know, yeah. and I think that's really balloons important. Oh my goodness. Uh, balloon releases are the worst. Mm. I don't understand why, um, you know, people don't realize that whatever goes up has to eventually come down. Yeah. You know, and where it comes down and who it impacts when it comes down. Um, where do they go? Like, like honestly, where, when you see a balloon fly off and some crying child, like where, where is that balloon most of the time going? 
Uh, very well. So, you know, it, they can be carried, you know, hundreds of miles, but they will eventually, I mean, so eventually, you know, they get high enough in the atmosphere that they, they pop and then they come down. And, um, you know, you see the pieces of plastic that are part of that um, get shredded all over the environment and then the, the strings. Yeah, no, yeah, the string as well. And, um, you know, think that actually in many ways the strings are the worst part because you see animals all the time getting caught and tangled. Actually, you know, you can look at my Facebook feed, you know, it's like a daily you see a new bird with this these strings wrapped around mm-hmm. its beak because it was going for food um, and and they just get encased um, and, and wrapped around and then the birds you know they don't have opposable thumbs they can't get them off mm-hmm. um, and they die as a result of that so I think it's really important for, for people to, to be aware of those those impacts yeah know, to think you know just become more more engaged um, citizens of the world. Think about the people that live around those plastic bag manufacturers. Think about the the turtle that's going to accidentally swallow it when you're done mm. with it. Mm. That's mm. The turtles are cute. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Cr- is it Crush from Finding Nemo? Crush. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants him eating eating a plastic what bag. What is he? What is? He? <laughs> <laughs> like he's the one, like yeah, like oh cool dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember like what his tagline was. Oh, I so yeah. wish. Oh, no, that would be like, a good totally, way to end it. <laughs> like, that's his. I think his son though squirts like totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> a big thanks to Dr. Sherry Mason for coming on the show. Sherry is the chair of the Department of Geology and Environmental Sciences at the State University of New York at Fredonia. Thanks for listening to the show. Think Sustainability is produced with the assistance of the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER. For more information about what you've heard today, head along to our website, 2SER.com forward slash Think Sustainability. You can also subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app. Just search for Think Sustainability. I'm Jake Morecambe. See you next week. Thanks.